Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Lewis. Uh, I'm part of the kind of leadership team up in Glasgow Grace. And uh, I'm married to Abby, who sadly couldn't be here uh, because we have a six-month-old who, he's at that stage where in just one week that I've been away, he's been through like four milestones. I got a text just before this that he has two teeth coming through. So um, I'm eager to get home and see them. Uh, but, uh, I'm, before, that, before that, I'm eager to talk about uh, this next generation, the, the 20s, uh, what some people call Gen Z. That's really where I kind of want to focus. Uh, it depends on how you define it. Gen Z might be kind of 1997 births onwards. Some say it's 95. I might be part of that generation. I might not. It's blurry. Uh, but I'm passionate about this topic because Ian alluded to this. I, I came from a non-Christian background. I was 19 when God snatched me out of death, out of a kind of suicidal moment uh, into his kingdom. And then four years later, we got married. We were one of these people new to a city. Where do we go? We ended up at a church plant. And then five years later, as someone who's not known Jesus for more than 10 years, stepping into eldership, being given the privilege of preaching the gospel and going, Jesus, you can snatch people out of death and into life. And he can do that for this generation too. So I'm excited for this topic. We often come, I think, to this topic with a kind of few, uh, a few kind of tendencies. We, we wring our hands if we're a certain generation in superiority. Things weren't like that in my day. We come with a kind of hopelessness of what God might do in a new generation. We, we kind of subtly believe in the secular myth of endless religious decline. Or if you're in your 20s like me, you come with a, maybe a kind of uncritical acceptance of culture. We better get with the times if we want to reach the next generation. But I just want to remind us as we start of Peter's words at Pentecost. He preaches. People come to him and say, what should we do? He says, repent and be baptized. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. That means that the God who crafted history has peered through the hallways of time and seen that there is no generation that is too tough ground for the gospel to break. It means that even today, 2023, to Gen Z. The gospel remains the power of salvation to all who believe. So as, I want us to have boldness as we talk about this, this conversation, this topic of the next generation. Not fear, not timidity, but boldness. That being said, let me tell you about one of the student girls in our church. She comes from a very progressive secular background. She was saved last year quite suddenly and dramatically. I was chatting to her this week about um, her kind of coming to faith and what that was like for her. And I asked her kind of, what, what was the biggest change for you when you met Jesus? And she completely surprised me because she said, the biggest thing that changed was my life got harder. And I was thinking, that's not good fodder for a talk on reaching the next generation. But she basically described she suddenly felt the weight of following Jesus, that her life meant something, that she had to learn to pray and read the Bible and grow and change She kind of continued to struggle with her mental health after she met Jesus. But then she, she kind of five minutes later came back to me and said, I forgot something. I forgot something. That the day I got saved on that Sunday, I walked in and I knew I was home. I knew I was home. There, there was a love in the room that I'd never felt before. And I think there's just a remarkable snapshot of a generation in her story. 
anxious, desperate to do the right thing, desperate for belonging. And all of that somehow and beautifully kind of caught up into the grace of God. So here's what I want to do. I just want to spend the first, the next five minutes just unpacking some of that kind of generational distinctive. What, what are we like? <laughs> what are today's 20s like? What are particularly Gen Z like? And then I just want to press into kind of what are a few gospel ch- opportunities that we might take hold of as we look to disciple and evangelize a generation. We could spend hours on this topic, but just for summary, we can tell the story of Gen Z by saying they are accessible and anxious activists. Gen Z do not remember a time offline. Some of you remember scrolling the map across the dashboard or checking the football scores on teletext. Even even me in my late 20s remember that, but most of Gen Z, most of today's 20s don't remember a time without a smartphone. Don't remember a time offline. In primary school, they were on Snapchat. In 2020, a poll said that most 13-year-olds spent upwards of three hours a day on social media. The ubiquity of social media for a generation is the external distinctive that marks it. And if you spend time with students, young adults in any way, you will know the frequency with which social media becomes a discipleship issue. It it becomes the thief of joy, the kind of harbinger of judgment and comparison. It becomes this deep pit of self-projection, of image management, of what the comedian Bo Burnham calls performing everything all the time. Sherry Turkle is a social scientist. She describes this generational trapping as being, quote, forever elsewhere, never where we really are, always elsewhere. Gen Z are the guinea pigs in a digital experiment, and the results are dripping in, and they are not pretty. Gen Z are accessible, and they are anxious. Jean Twenge is an academic She specializes in kind of generational change, and she wrote a book called Generations, tracking change from the silent generation through to Gen Z. And one of the kind of great trends she identifies is the sudden and striking rise of mental health complaints in those in their 20s. She links it explicitly to technological advance, and she kind of teases it out statistically. This is damning. Between 2007 and 2021, the rate of teenagers reporting feelings of loneliness and rates of clinical depression among teens and young adults have literally doubled. Among young women, they have more than doubled. It's not hard. You don't need to be a kind of cultural critic to connect the dots between constant image management and poor mental health. Goes beyond statistics to popular culture. You'll remember Naomi Osaka, the American tennis player. She had a dropout of the French Open in 2021 for mental health problems. Olivia Rodrigo, born in 2003, she sings this. She says, I'm so insecure, I think that I'll die before I drink. I'm not cool and I'm not smart. I can't even parallel park. Gen Z don't use a laughing emoji to say that something's funny. They use a skull to mean dead. There is a morbid kind of depression that marks a generation today. A kind of pessimism 
about the state of the world. Gen Z are self-aware, honest, sometimes dark, and often anxious and depressed. What happens then when a generation is always connected and therefore very anxious and pessimistic? Well, third, Gen Z are activists. In part due to kind of a digital anxiety, those in their 20s today are more conscious of racial disparity, more active when it comes to gay and trans issues, and trust leadership and institutions less than any generation in history. They care about justice. I was speaking recently with uh, a leader in cultural apologetics up in Scotland. He remarked to me, he said, in the last few years, the kind of topics that we are dealing with in churches has taken a complete left turn from can science and God be compatible to will there ever be justice in the world? You wouldn't believe that that's the question people are now asking. Not is it right for God to judge, but will he ever bring justice? If millennials were kind of postmodern and believed in moral relativism, you do you, Gen Z are not. There's this kind of moral rigidity that has found its way back into the culture of a generation. What some people flippantly call cancel culture isn't made up. Statistically, Gen Z are more likely to boycott a company for hypocrisy, to aim to shut down speech that is offensive, they're more likely to pursue safe spaces and freedom from dissenting views. We are more likely to vote than previous generations at the same age. In a phrase, today's 20s are accessible and anxious activists. There's the story. And we could react to that story with fear. We could react to it with confusion. I think it's right that we react to it with gospel hope. We react to it as an opportunity. And here's why. Because if we have a generation that is longing for belonging, longing for justice, longing for peace, they are fertile ground for the kingdom of the one who said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We might not know it, but when we hunger for peace, we're hungering for Jesus. When we hunger for justice, we're hungering for Jesus. So let me just suggest two ways that, that we might go forward in our churches, in our evangelism, in our discipleship, how we might bring all of that into kind of intersection and conversation with the gospel. First, we need to extend an invitation to belong. Gen Z are desperate for belonging. One of the students in our church recently, we were, we were just talking about how he'd been saved and the changes in his life. And we were standing on a Sunday morning and he looked around the room and he said, Lewis, I don't deserve any of this, but it's God's gift to me. I just felt in that moment the, the need for belonging that a generation have. The church united across every divide is the antidote to isolation, to the anxiety of a digital generation. We need to stress and model and invite 20-somethings into the reality of the kingdom of God, into the reality of biblical belonging, to the joy of being fully known and fully loved by God, into the pain and the joy of being fully known in community. I'm convinced of this, that to those who are oversaturated in comparison and self-projection, there is nothing more important than witnessing and being called into life together where we don't hide from one another, 
where we don't pretend with one another, but we boldly face the reality of life, where we weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. A disconnected age needs the Lord's Supper. It needs the laying on of hands. It needs the tangible things of the Christian faith. It needs us to lift our hands in worship and model what it looks like to love Jesus in our bodies. If we're a generation that are forever elsewhere, then we need to get more faithful to the here. It's number one, invite Gen Z to belong among God's people. But second, we need, we need to call 20-somethings, we need to call Gen Z into the adventure of God's mission. Here's what I love most about the students in our church. They have a zeal and an activism that is so intrinsic in them that once they catch a glimpse of Jesus, it's leveraged for missional power in the most exciting way. I'm amazed at their urgency, their commitment, their willingness to lay down their lives in radical discipleship. Gen Z are looking for something to give their lives to. They're activists, we, we saw that. And so we need to return not to the kind of, you can go to heaven, but to the, you can partner with God in pushing back darkness in the world. St. Augustine famously said that, quote, to fall in love with God is the greatest romance, to seek him the greatest adventure, to find him the greatest human achievement. I am convinced that that is what will catch the heart of a generation, the adventure of God's mission, to step into what God is doing in the world. Gen Z and God's providence, those of us in this room in our 20s in God's providence might just become a missionary generation, might just become a generation of church planters that see the reality of our post-Christian landscape for what it is, not harking back to a previous age, but saying, God, I see the challenge in front of us and I want in. I want in. I'm rolling up my sleeves. We also need to stress the adventure of discipleship to kind of cut across and prophetically engage with a culture of safety and false justice. You and I need to model what it looks like to love our enemies bravely and boldly, not to seek to silence them. If justice is one of the deepest concerns of a generation, then we need to prophetically demonstrate what it looks like to partner with God by leaving justice to him by praying for those who persecute us, by trusting the way of Jesus, not the way of the world, for justice. This is where discipleship in the way of Jesus will come into deep conflict with the ways of a generation. If the world feels unsafe to a generation, which it often is, if the world feels unsafe, then we need to believe in and we need to preach a much grander vision of God the one who C.S. Lewis called not safe, but good. In him, there is security and safety and joy for a generation. Let me challenge you, it is on each of us, not just on those who feel called to student ministry, to pray for, to reach out to, to care for and to share Jesus with the next generation. That is implicit in the Great Commission. It is implicit in Peter's words at Pentecost. Decline is not inevitable. The harvest fields remain ripe. Let's decide together to take Jesus at his word.
And let's press on in boldness for a new generation. Amen.